Welcome to the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. I'm Paul Botts, the founder and CEO of Good Leadership. We're an executive team coaching firm headquartered in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This morning, we produced a virtual broadcast of the Good Leadership Breakfast Series, a leadership development event that's now in its 12th year programming. Today was our 93rd episode, and today was also the final episode in this virtual chapter of the Good Leadership Breakfast. And so we're excited to be heading back into the ballroom next month to get ready for a full breakfast in March of 2022. Because we're broadcasting today, we had guests from all across the country and many people who are new to the Good Leadership Breakfast. Our mission is to spread goodness through good leaders because we've proven goodness pays. Goodness is when people thrive together in a culture of encouragement, accountability, and positive teamwork. Our niche in the coaching industry is focusing on the idea that good leadership is a team sport because we all know when the team at the top is not aligned, everyone suffers. Today's podcast expands on the conversation we shared with Terry Rasmussen. She's the president and CEO of Thrivent. Our theme is thriving together and it seems fitting that she's here. Let's meet our speaker for today. Terry, uh, will you please tell us the one minute story about who is Thrivent? I'd love to. Um, so we are a diversified financial services company. I call us the original purpose-based company because unlike a lot of uh, financial services companies, we really try and help our clients discover their purpose, the gifts that they've been given, and so that we can help them achieve financial clarity so that they can lead lives full of meaning and gratitude. So I like to say we're that, we're that company that's gonna help you find your purpose. Well, we're gonna learn a lot more about that in this podcast. Uh, you also shared with us what you do for fun outside of work to recharge and stay positive. So can you speak a little bit to that again? I would love to. So um, exercise, and Paul, as you yep. know, you interviewed me all those many years ago, and I'm in the fitness, you fitness know, part chapter. chapter the really uh, book, yeah. Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but every morning you're going to find me on the treadmill. I am. Um, I, I was running at the beginning, and then now I have a little tendonitis, and so I'm uh, doing fast walking. But uh, I, I'm on the treadmill every morning. Uh, that's how I watch the news and, and find out what's going on in the world in the morning. And then Tuesdays, I, I uh, work out uh, with a, my Pilates instructor who happens to also be my physical therapist. And so you will find I'm very rigid about the one hour during the work week, mm-hmm. uh, which is Tuesdays from 4.30 to 5.30. You won't be meeting with me unless you know it's the board meeting uh, because that's devoted to my one hour with my, my physical therapist um, slash Pilates instructor where um, even through the pandemic, uh, you know, I, I do have an exercise room in my house with equipment, and so she zooms in, and, and we have our hour session together, and uh, we've done that. I've done that every Tuesday since the pandemic started. Well, that's impressive, and, and we're big fans of fitness here at Good Leadership, <laughs> for sure. So now, um, it's time to hear the conversation at the Good Leadership Breakfast early this morning. You grew up on a Midwestern farm. In some ways you are, and now you're the president and CEO of Thrive, and so in some ways you're actually the poster child for this idea that there's no straight line. (laughs) So, um, you know, I asked you the question, did you always want to be a CEO, and you said no. So what was your path? Give us the short version of how did you go from growing up on the farm to becoming, you know, the CEO of Thrive? Well, it's a it's it's a rather amusing story, I think, because um, I, I when I speak to groups, particularly parents that have children that they're really struggling with what they're going to be when they grow up, I go, well, take heed, you know, it can work out. So um, I grew up on a farm. I was the middle child. I had an older sister. Uh, it was clear what gifts she had been given. She was a very talented artist. 
younger brother, it was clear that, you know, he loved the farm and could fix anything. And so it was clear the gifts that he was given. And then there was me, mm -hmm. clueless. Mm -hmm. And so um, I remember one day my dad came home. He had visited the dentist and because he knew I was really struggling with this. And he said, I think you should be a dental hygienist. He said, look, money's good. You can always find a job. You're not on call. And, and so that's what I did. I, uh, I went to dental hygiene school, and it was when I was um, in school that I discovered the love of learning. And so uh, the other thing I, I found out about myself, if you haven't noticed, I'm left-handed, and you know, that back in those days, you know, actually being left-handed was a, was a problem. And so every dentist I worked for had to get me new equipment because everything was designed for right-handed people. And so, um, and so I, I found also that, you know, in, in those days you had to be an electrician or a plumber because stuff leaked and, you know, things didn't work. And so, so I decided, you know, I, that going on to dental school was really not in my, in my um, future. So, mm -hmm. so then I started to, to think about, okay, I have to get a four-year degree because I had a two-year degree in dental hygiene in order to go to grad school because I wasn't really satisfied with just getting a, a bachelor's degree. I wanted to go to grad school because I liked learning at that point in time. So my sister-in-law came home, she was majoring in accounting, and I looked at her books and said, oh, that looks kind of fun. And so I met with a college advisor, and we mapped out a way where in 18 months I could get my four-year degree. And, and because I majored in accounting, then my, my choices for grad school narrowed, and so I kind of narrowed in on law school. So, so um, then went to law school, and uh, from law school then um, had my first job as a trial attorney for the United States Department of Justice in Washington, D.C. I said, I lived there and I, I, I tried my cases in Colorado and Wyoming. And then my husband at the time was living in Colorado and we were commuting, which mm -hmm. you know got old after a while. Sure. So, so then we, we decided that we wanted to live together and we both found jobs in Minneapolis. And so we came back here mm -hmm. and have been here since. And through that time, I, uh, you know, I was in a large law firm. Um, I worked for my uncle in a small business for a while, then uh, was recruited to American Express or what is now Ameriprise. And so mm -hmm. spent 15 years there, kind of going through um, different legal positions, mm -hmm. you know, to really get well-rounded, I think, in financial services, and then was recruited to Thriven as their general counsel. So I was the general counsel for a decade. And um, after a decade, uh, you know, I was asked if I had an interest in running the core business. And so I said, sure, why not? And, and so I did. And three years ago, actually to the day, then I was named the CEO of Thrivent. So a rather weird path, not the typical, typical path. Yeah, well, if there's anything we've learned at the breakfast here is there's no, no one has had a straight path. So <laughs> it's really fun. It makes my heart sing. I, there's a farm in our family too, so I understand all that. Uh, so Thrivent is, um, is a major force in Minneapolis-St. Paul, but it's also a, a big player in the scene, you know, three, number 369 the Fortune 500. But in the context of your peers, it's, you're actually sort of a mid-sized firm. Um, what I think is fascinating about your industry is there's clearly a lot of money to be made in the financial services business, especially you can see that in the way some of your peer groups put out this, these fabulous advertisements about, you know, you can retire a, a dream life if you just give us all your money, right? And so. How do you guys, how does Thrivent really stand alone or carve out a space in that industry? 
So, so I, um, I, I tell our workforce, I said, you know, we're not going to be that what's your number company, you know, because I think so much of it is, so if you, if you just save for retirement, all of a sudden retirement becomes, you know, this dream, as you said. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it's really, it's really helping um, our clients achieve financial clarity, achieve, you know, what's their purpose? And so I like to say we're the what's your purpose company, not the what's your number company. And, and there, you know, it's, it's, it's finding that, that joy of, of helping people discover what's important to them. And, and, and so that they can lead their lives, not only for today, you know, lead their and fulfill their purpose, but in the future as well. And, and we're over 100 years old. We're quite successful, as you said. I mean, we, we, uh, we are uh, Fortune, you know, you said 369. And um, currently, I just looked, we just had our, our, our third quarter review, and we've got $183 billion of assets under management. So, so we're not small. Um, we, I think last year, had about $8.5 billion in revenue. And so, uh, and that just really represents, you know, an organization that has made an impact and, and served our clients well for well over 100 years. Um, and so it's, it's pretty exciting. And I think it's our approach, you know, our approach to advice. It mm -hmm. is that notion mm -hmm. of finding what's important to you. Remember those retired school teachers and pastors mm -hmm. and, and small business owners, you know, the fact that we get to help people really understand their, their financial situation, but then it leads to a life of meaning and gratitude. And, and isn't that what we all want, is mm -hmm. that life where you feel like you're making an impact mm -hmm. and you're, you're leaving you know, the, the, the world a little better than where you found it? Well, my wife, Melinda, and I have been Thrivent members for 30-some plus years, and I always remember feeling valued for what I had, not for what I didn't have, and I think that that's really important. Yep. So I've been doing business in this city for 35 years, and I've watched as Aid Association for Lutherans sort of married Lutheran Brotherhood, <laughs> right, and became this organization. And uh, probably the most stunning advancement that I've seen is now that the organization is really run by Industry A players. And so I'm curious to find out, you know, what are you looking for in leaders, and what do you really expect of them? Well, you know, first, um, you know, I believe that high-performing teams, the foundation for it is really trust. Mm -hmm. And trust, in my opinion, is, is a combination of two things, character mm -hmm. and competence. Okay. So, so um, what the, the team that I have right now, they are highly competent in their box. If you think about an org structure, you know, they're, they're, they're boxes. And, and so I have extremely competent um, in individuals in those boxes, mm -hmm. but they're they're more than just their box. I say they're they're actually enterprise-wide leaders. They're they're all very different because diversity um, of uh, diversity is really important for teams to, to mm -hmm. really make good decisions, and and they 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 speak up because because the you know the it's the character piece as well. Um, there, if I were, I, I love to cook, so if I were, you know, cooking, I would say, you know, there's that, there's obviously the competence, but mm -hmm, then there's mm -hmm. the, you got to sprinkle in integrity, mm -hmm. you got to, you know, you got to have a teaspoon of, mm -hmm. of humility, mm -hmm. you know, um, probably a couple tablespoons of low ego, mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, and then vulnerability mm -hmm. and, and creativity and, and kind of being your own entrepreneur having the courage to, to try things and, 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 you know, explore and grow and develop because when you're growing and develop, it can be painful. Mm -hmm. um, and so I look for, for all of those things in leaders and really I'm so happy because I, I think as a leadership team, we have that. 
So uh, I heard a lot of things in that answer that, that um, really dovetail into how we think about helping teams uh, thrive together and improve. So I, I want to talk a little bit about this thing, uh, this team model that we use. It's called epoxy theory. And we all know epoxy are two different things that do nothing by themselves, but you put them together and they create a really strong bond. We think about the epoxy as relationship capital, so the ability to care about people, and then structural integrity, planning and solving and getting things done as the epoxy. We interviewed some people on your team to try to figure out which one of those two you had strengths in. And they told us that you're a very, very personable person, um, but your, your gifts really are on the structural side of things. So I'm just curious to find out, how do you go about structuring the work that your team has to get done? Well, I think it, it starts with, it, you know, making sure that we, we get alignment, mm -hmm. you know, and, and for us, we have kind of this rallying cry. It's our, it's our one big goal. Mm -hmm. and, and then it is, it is, you know, structuring our time together and so that it's, it's action, mm -hmm. actionable. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I've, I've, been, I've been a part of organizations, you know, and even some teams at Thrivent where, it felt like if we if we actually had a meeting, we were accomplishing something, but that's not really mm -hmm, accomplishing mm -hmm, anything. Mm -hmm. So you, you need to to ask yourself, what are we meeting for? Mm -hmm. You know, why am I here? And what are we what are we going to do? And so we can we can move the organization forward, and be efficient with our time and, and optimize the time we have together. It's it's probably a creature of you know being a working mom and you know quite frankly trying to figure out you know the time management mm -hmm. is a big deal. <laughs> And so, how do you how do you really get efficient and and you know get you know if we're meeting, what are we what are the decisions we have to make, and what are the things that we have to discuss, and so that we're always moving the organization forward. Yeah, I really like I, I like that approach. And sometimes we have, when we've seen teams struggling and, and meeting for the purpose of meeting, we can. Um, fairly quickly figure out what these high-priced executives are making and then divide that by the day and say, do you realize how much money this meeting is costing here? We probably should be better with this time. Yeah, so I can imagine that you guys have thought of things like that before. Um, so part of the mission of this breakfast and our firm is to pass along success habits so that people can um, learn from these leaders who come to the Good Leadership Breakfast. And a success habit is something that you've learned to do over and over again because it really works for you. Uh, I told you we interviewed people, and they pointed out uh, three very specific success habits that I want to probe with you now. One of them you already mentioned, but I, I'd really love for you to tell us the why this is so important to you, and then exactly how do you go about it. So the first one is, you really insist on the fact that the organization has one big goal. I think this is fascinating. <clears throat> um, we, we refer to that as the big opportunity, but you call it the one big goal. So w why is that important to you, and how did you actually go about creating that goal? Well, it's important because it really is the rallying cry to get everyone excited about the, you know, our, our, our goals, you mm -hmm. know, because as you said, I mean, everyone likes to win and you want to be a part of a winning mm -hmm. team. And so if you have a goal out there, you know, you can go after it. And, and it, it, it really does, um, it, it's a great decision-making mm -hmm. tool mm -hmm. because, you know, then, then the workforce can ask, is my work contributing to the one big goal or not? So it has to be simple enough they can memorize it. Yep, yep. Yeah. Do you yeah. have a sample you can share what well, your big goal is? Well, it's like, you know, we did, we mm -hmm. actually had everyone um, during, during COVID, interestingly enough, it was about a 22nd, you know. Okay. Um, you know, and so we, we did that and we were washing our hands. <laughs> the, 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 because we said, you know, it, we have to do that uh -huh. um, and during COVID. Mm -hmm. So 
so um, you know, it's really there's. I'm going to give you the the um, the beginning and it, the end yeah, because sure. those are the important things. Those are the you know kind of the strategic bets we're making based yep. on what we know that our clients need. Mm -hmm. So the first is is advice. We mm -hmm. want to be known as a leader in advice. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, and and and. The reason for that is because we've got a long history of giving ongoing advice to our clients. I mean, that's why people, you know, can that that's that's why they can become philanthropists. That's yeah. why they can they can enjoy their lives and and live a full life mm -hmm. um, during the their entire life versus just waiting for retirement. And so, being that leader in financial advisory is really critical. Mm -hmm. And we're putting all the the blocks in place to mm -hmm. to really do that. Ultimately, our goal is to help our clients achieve financial clarity so that they can lead a life full of meaning and gratitude. Mm -hmm. And and so so to me it's like everything has got to be built on with that goal in mind. So all our work, you know, if you think about the engagement programs that we have mm -hmm. that we with our deployed staff mm -hmm. in the field, I mean all those things have to be centered around that one goal of financial clarity and leading a life full of meaning and gratitude. And then we have just, you know, we do have operating and financial metrics, mm -hmm. you know, in the middle around our, our core business and you know so you can I mean, report on how things are going we can report on financial metrics mm -hmm. and how things are going but strategically mm -hmm. it's important that we also show progress because mm -hmm. one of the things um, that we heard loud and clear you know we we do have um, a, over a hundred year history and one of the things we heard loud and clear from our clients is is they want to leave the legacy of Thrivent to their kids and grandkids mm -hmm. And so, so they want us to build this organization and transform this organization for the next generation because they felt that Thrivent was so important in their lives. They want to make sure we stay relevant for the next generations. And so, um, and so that led us to you know, redo our brand. That led us to become much more modern and hip uh, as an organization. Um, th there's there's a couple in, in that do remind me. They said, "But Terry, don't ever forget who brought you to the dance." But they're they're mm -hmm. cheering us on, saying, "No, let's make sure that you're relevant for the generations to come." So we heard it here. Thriving is now modern and hip. I love that. <laughs> I, um, okay, so the second one is fascinating, and I actually gave this advice to another CEO earlier this week in a coaching conversation. It's this idea of time without Terry. So obviously, you're Terry, and we're, you're referring to your executive team. So. Why is time without Terry important, and how do you actually go about implementing that? Well, uh, a little bit is is my journey as the CEO because I'm I'm now in year three. I call it my junior year, mm -hmm. and I remember the board sharing with me because I was a first time CEO, and and there is a growth and development you know process that mm -hmm. happens, and I remember a couple of board members telling me, you know, Terry, when you really feel lonely you've now settled into the role because mm -hmm. it's lonely at the top. Mm -hmm. And so I felt lonely about May, June of 2020. Yeah, and that's explainable, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, so, um, and so part of it is they said, you have, to, you have to let the executive leadership team gel. You have to, you, you, you have to let them you know, develop their relationships. And, and if you're in the room, it just is an impediment. And your job now is to become their boss, not their peer, become their boss. And your job is to then hold them accountable to deliver the results that, mm -hmm. that you want them to deliver. And they've got to learn to do that as a team. So how often do they meet without you? Once a week. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, 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 it makes total sense. Mm -hmm. And 
I, I'm thinking about many applications that I can use from this experience right here. So thank you for that. Um, so this last one is um, a little bit surprising, but I love it. And it's this idea that you do intensely personal check-ins one-on-one with people. It fits my point of view about good leadership perfectly, but how did you discover this? I mean, why, why is intensely personal check-ins important to you? And then how do you actually go about doing it? Well, um, it, it became really apparent during COVID. Mm-hmm. And it's this notion of really checking in and not accepting the rote answer yeah. when I say, you know, how are you doing? Oh, fine, oh, fine, oh, fine. It's, you know, the, how are the, you really doing? How are you really doing? Mm-hmm. And, and it's this, and, and it became very apparent to me over Zoom is some, some members of the team were doing better than others. Mm-hmm. And it's probably my schooling as a trial lawyer, you know, is, is you know, you, you have to read the, you had to read the jury, you had to read the judge, you know, and it was like, and I can read, I can read my team, I can read individuals. And so it's, it's saying, no, what's really going on? Mm-hmm. You know, how can I help? You know, do you need, do you need to take a run at lunch? Do you need to take some time off? I mean, it's like, life's too short. So let's, you know, make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the stress of operating the organization during the last 18 months can take its toll if you're not careful and really you know, do some self-care. So mm-hmm. self-care is important. At this point in the program, we acknowledged our sponsors and raised some money through a program we call the Bucket of Goodwill. It was facilitated by my co-host at The Breakfast, Chloe Radcliffe. We donated money to Can Do Canines, an organization that's really close to Terry. Chloe also collected some more questions from the audience. Let's jump back in here. The first question that somebody wants to ask is, what benefits do you see from your not straight line path to being CEO? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I, I, you know, I think it's, it's continuous learning. It's, it's being curious, coming at problems in a different way. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and it's, it's, you know, I would say probably not taking yourself too seriously, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. having that, that curiosity to try things, push the envelope, you know, what's the worst that can happen, I always say, is you learn something. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think by my path that way, it was, it, it, it really helped. According to my mother, she's very, she's very happy the fact that I can always find a job somewhere because being a dental hygienist, CPA, lawyer, yeah, CEO, right. she's thinking I'm employable. So yeah, that, 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 that's pretty special. Thanks mom for that, right? Yeah. Um, what, what I see is people who have paths like yours are just much, much more adaptable. We run into a lot of early stage CEOs who are fast tracking it through their organization, through their function, and the next day they know they're the leader of their peers and they don't handle it very well. And so I, I'm a big proponent of the, uh, the path that you've taken. What's next, Chloe? All right, I love this question. Uh, Terry, you mentioned both, and I believe this was in your description of, of leadership and, and what a good team needs. You mentioned both ego and vulnerability. How do you balance those? Well, um, you know, I look for, I look for individuals that, that have low ego humility and and when trust is built in teams there is this vulnerability mm-hmm. it is 
it is you know encouraging people to speak up because the richness of the conversation is how you develop really good decision-making skills mm -hmm. and listening to your your colleagues that are coming at it at a different way is it, it, it takes vulnerability to do that mm -hmm. and then you know if if a decision is made and it doesn't work out the way that you expected it to, you know, it's the vulnerability to say, what did I learn from that? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, it's not pointing fingers at somebody, but it's owning it mm -hmm. and it's saying, okay, that was a really good learning exercise for me. You know, I, I'm gonna put that in, you know, the, the, the cupboard, you know, so mm -hmm. I'd learn from that for the next time. Yeah, I think it's the reason why I thought that 49% number was so di difficult to see about Team leaders don't think it's important for each other to understand who they want to be when they grow up. It's one of the most vulnerable things I've ever seen is to have a team of people say to each other, here are my professional aspirations in front of their peers. That takes a lot of guts. And you've got to be able to accept that with each other and say, hey, I'll help you get there. Mm -hmm. That's as vulnerable as it gets in, in, our, in our opinion. And we're, we like to create the time for those things. Well, and I think it goes to, you know, everyone gets tired of me saying this, you know, and I think they, but, but after a while they believe it when I say it is, I think feedback's a gift. And so in my opinion, if, if you're willing to give feedback and it goes all the way to the top, I mean, I tell my team, save me from myself because, you know, mm -hmm. I don't have all the answers. But if you, if you are willing to give feedback, that's a real gift. That means they care. Mm -hmm and you care about someone's growth and development. Mm -hmm. And so that's a really important thing, mm -hmm. you know, to have that kind of ecosystem where people feel that, feel safe. Yeah. Uh, Chloe, do you have one more? Yeah, we do have one more. Uh, Terry, you talked a lot about giving advice to your clients. What is the best piece of advice you ever got? Um, the best advice I ever got, and this is, this is an old one, um, but, but starting out, I remember my advisor said, pay yourself first. And so there's this whole notion of, you know, um, creating good, healthy financial habits, you know, starts. And if you start early and, 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 and continue them over time, um, it's, it's good for you. So, so in my case, it was, you know, we wanted to make sure that we funded our kids' college education. So we had a little account where money was taken out of the paycheck before I got the end of it, you know, the other, the, the, what was left. And then we learned to live on what was left. But we, we always set our priorities and made sure that we were funding those priorities first. And so it's things like, you know, max out your 401k because there's a match, you know, your, if your company matches, it's making sure you're saving for emergency savings. It's making sure you're protecting your family if something, if something happens. And so I remember um, one, of our, one of our first purchases was life insurance because it was a, a multi-need um, product. So mm -hmm. it, it protected our family if something happened to one of us so our kids could go to college but it also provided a funding mechanism and so that we could, you know, as we were funding it, we could take loans against it and send our kids to college. So it was mm -hmm. kind of a twofer, as I called it. Mm -hmm. and, and as we grow, you know, and, and as we created those, those discipline habits, you know, I mean, it, again, it was that, um, you know, making sure that we were always clear on what our goals were. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there were only two other questions that came in from the audience that I'm really interested in asking about. Um, one of them is um, more about your life as a CEO, and then the other one's just a lighthearted question. Um, the first one, though, so let's go back to your journey to CEO, and you referred to us as being in your junior year, which is your third year, using sort of a college reference. 
Um, do you remember the moment when you really knew you could do this job as CEO of Thrivent? I do, and and I, I think it, it started probably a year ago where I, I started to feel that I had the confidence that I knew that we could achieve what, what we, we wanted to achieve it and really transform ourselves as an organization about becoming relevant, you know, to serve the generations to come. And, and so to me, it was, it was probably a year ago. Yeah, it's amazing. We, we've been doing research on this subject and I'm pretty convinced that first time CEOs don't really know the job until the fourth year. So I, my ears really perked up when you talked about being in your junior year and kind of learning how to be a boss and a, not a friend to these people and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's really powerful learning. So let's end on a lighter note. Um, so what's your favorite book or movie or TV show that just makes you smile? <laughs> well, if you ask, um, you know, um, uh, in, in, our workforce at Thrivent, they know that I'm, I'm a raging fan of Ted Lasso. And, and I, I love that series. It makes me smile. Um, you know, talk about you know, uh, a leadership lessons and this whole notion of believe in your future, believe in yourself. And so um, I'm, I'm talking to everyone about it. I can't wait for season three uh, to find out what, what happens next. Well, we're not even gonna ask you to tell us what happens at the end of season two, because I'm not all of us <laughs> are there right there. Terry, how do you know for sure that goodness pays for you in your leadership? I see it every day in the just the joy and the smiles of our workforce and the fact that they work for a company that cares about them and that they can they can actually live their purpose. And because I, I always say Thrivent, we were the original purpose-driven company. Mm -hmm. And so I see that every day. And then we see it in, like I said, the stories that we hear and the clients that we, we serve. Before I sign off today, it's important to express our gratitude for all the sponsors who helped keep this program alive during the pandemic. With your encouragement, we've continued to research the business benefits of How Goodness Pays and experiment with innovative coaching systems to help executive teams thrive together. A significant part of why we do this programming is to help you get better as a leader and to provide research and success habits to build your confidence. Here's a quick summary of the data we shared today with the highlights of why goodness is important to leadership. 51% of people say their leaders do not expect their team members to know one another's aspirations and I just don't know how they get high performance that way. And only three of four teams are actually making the mid-course corrections that are necessary to make sure the team is winning. We learned that 40% of team members believe the tension in their teams is more mean-spirited than healthy. And we think that's really important because good leadership is really all about this concept of thriving together. So this data says we have a lot of work to do as coaches to make sure team leaders are leading with goodness. Terry Rasmussen is someone who knows how to make goodness pay in her leadership. And we shared three success habits that came from her. So the first one is making sure that your team has one big goal and expecting employees to memorize that simple goal statement. It helps create alignment. Second one is something I love. This is time without Terry. She literally creates space for the team to meet without her once a week. And I think that's brilliant. And then third, um, intensely personal one-on-ones, which we learned, especially during the pandemic, is important to helping individuals you know, feel valued and to make sure that they're thriving personally in their role. While the economy is strong and many companies are thriving, not every business is riding high. One of our clients is winning in the market, but it doesn't really feel very good. 
the industry is still in a free fall. Their company is winning because they're likely to be the last independent firm left standing in their market. They're growing but falling short of the board's expectations. So because they feel like they're not winning, the firm is suffering from unprecedented infighting. That happens a lot in professional services firms, especially law firms, where the workforce is highly educated with advanced degrees in highly technical industries. A team of coaches and I help them turn this all around with this idea we call swords out. When critical thinking turns inward, people can hurt each other with sharp words and unprofessional behavior. As it escalates, sometimes they cut their colleagues off at the knees just for sport. When you think of the image of swords out, you can see a team standing shoulder to shoulder with their back to one another, with their swords pointing out in a circle. From this position, they can defend one another, and they also see the market from every angle. It's a little dramatic, but the metaphor works wonders in helping teams really get out of their inside-out thinking and get back on track. Because it's easy to get sucked into putting our best energy into solving internal problems. It's an endless hamster wheel. Good leaders don't spend their best energy solving internal problems. Good leaders spend their best energy focused on winning in the market. And it's the winning that's contagious. Winning is contagious. We appreciate your support and encouragement to keep this programming going. For information about the executive team coaching programs of Good Leadership, visit goodleadership.com. The next Good Leadership Breakfast will be recorded on November 19 and will be available for listening and viewing on November 23 with speaker Allison Brown, President and CEO of the Science Museum of Minnesota. Goodbye for now.